think that the funniest thing somebody said to me once, a guy was lying in the gutter, like literally drainage coming okay, over yeah. him from the water and goes, hey, lady, you got a cigarette? I said, no, I quit. And he goes, hey, you don't expect me to give up everything, do you? Hello and welcome once again to the No Name NYC podcast. My name is Eric Vetter. Welcome. I'm so glad you guys are joining us. It's kind of cool. This is our, our last episode for the year. We've been doing them since July, two a month. Actually, in July, we, we, we released three, but we've done two a month since then. And it, it's just been a blast all along where if you're listening to this when it drops, uh, it should be uh, December 1st. So we're coming towards the end of the year. And, you know, this is the time of year when you're, you're thinking, oh, and by the way, I should mention uh, the voice you heard up front. That's Nancy Lombardo, longtime friend of No Name. No, Nancy Lombardo is is, is just, uh, she's the force of nature. Uh, you know, always entertaining, always high energy. Stay out of her way and you will be entertained and not get hurt. Uh, we love Nancy. Um, and I really enjoyed talking with her. We're going to get to that in a little bit. So, like, I, as I said, we're, we're reaching the end of the year. And uh, this is a time of year where, where you kind of reflect on uh, family and friends and loved ones and uh, thankfulness for the people in your life. At least some of us do that. Some of you just bitter and miserable. <laughs> you can do both, I guess. But, um, you know, I've been been reflecting on uh, some of the folks we've lost over the years. And, uh, you know, do a show for close to 30 years. And, you know, not everyone makes every step of the journey. And, and did uh, an episode with our, our good friend Alaudi Nula uh couple of months ago, something that didn't make the final cut. We were we were talking about the old days and some of the people who passed through our doors and 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 we talked about our, our dear friend, very, very funny gentleman gone way too soon, Joseph Rocha. We decided we, we'd like to share this story uh, about Joe. One of the funniest human beings alive. I just loved watching him work. Uh but Joe was kind of he was always in need of money. We come to uh number of years ago, it was one of the first paid gigs we ever had for, for a no-name show. We were asked to do a fundraiser for, wait for it, a Moose Lodge. I didn't even know Moose Lodge has existed before then, but a co-worker at my day job at Moose Lodge, and they asked us to do a comedy night to raise some money for the lodge. Sure, no problem. Let's do this. Um and so it was a rare, they paid us nicely and we were able to pay our, our guest performers nicely. And I made sure to get Joe on the lineup. Plus, Joe had done the show we did there the previous year and they specifically requested him to come back. So I was like, great, I can get Joe some money, get them a performer that they like and requested back. And the plan was we'd have him headline. Uh, now, the way the Moose Lodge wanted to do it, we had two acts, then there was a break, then two more acts, another break, and then our headliner. And you have to keep in mind, this place is nowhere near where most of us lived. Uh, where I came from, from Washington Heights, it involved taking two long train rides and then a bus ride. Uh, and the bus ran like every 20 minutes to a half hour. And it was made even longer of a trip because there had been a big snowfall, so everything is slowed down. So it takes forever to get there and back. Now, I'm getting ready to, to begin the last segment. Bring up the headliner, Joe Rocha. And 
Jezidum getting ready to bring him up. Now, he's supposed to do like 20, 25 minutes. And Jezidum getting ready to bring him up. He pulls me and said, uh, I wouldn't let you know. I, I, I got to go. So I really, I can maybe do 10 minutes. Uh, I'm sorry, what? It, yeah, you, you know, I, I got to go. I got a spot at the comic strip. I'm like, dude, you can't tell me this. I, you know, I paid him in advance and paid him in cash. You know, make sure that he's taken care of. And it's like, they're expecting you to do you know, 20, 25 minutes. Or well, you know, I, I, I got to go. I got the, the comic strip. It's kind of a big deal, you know, uh, at least in that, at that point. And, uh, all right, look, do do the best you can. Do it, do it, oh, maybe I can do like 15. I'll try. So I'm really stressing this. And I go and introduce Joe and he comes out, hits the stage. And before he even gets a word out, one of the moose... Meese? Moose? Mooses? Uh, <laughs> one of the audience members who has been taking advantage of the breaks to buy alcohol uh, shouts out something at the stage. I don't even remember what it was. And Joe just looked at him, and I, I don't remember the exchange anymore, but he just, without blinking, fired back something and just totally owned the guy. The entire place erupts in stitches. Everybody's just laughing. Um, and, you know, the, the, he wasn't heckling Joe. It was just a good-natured thing. But, you know, he's getting chatty after all the alcohol. And after that, they were just eating out of his hands. And Joe Rocha <laughs> proceeded to do not 10 minutes, not 15 minutes. He did about 38 minutes. He did close to 40 minutes and did not do one stitch of prepared material. The entire time, he's just interacting with the audience and it's just a love affair, you know, and it's just amazing. And it's one of the most amazing performances I've ever seen. And when the show was over, I go over to him and said, Joe, what the fuck? You said you had to get out of here. I said, yeah, I know, but I was having fun. And that's why we love Joe Rocha. That's what comedy is about. That's what Joe Rocha was about. Honestly, I don't know if he even made it to the comic strip that night. I don't know if he did. He certainly was very, very late with the travel conditions and uh, reflecting on old friends and stuff. It's just embrace the people who bring the good times, who bring the warmth, who make you laugh. Uh, hold them tight and hold them close. All right. Is everybody crying now? Good. Uh, <laughs> that's the time we, we go to a sponsor. Uh, so uh, did I mention Nancy Lombardo is our guest? Yeah, we're going to get to the conversation with Nancy in just a minute. After this word from our sponsor, get away. To Green Bay. Escape to Green Bay. That's right, the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast in beautiful Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a bed and breakfast before, but the breakfast at a lot of these places tends to be like a mini box of cereal or uh, some questionable fruit, things of that nature, a piece of toast maybe with some butter. But not at the historic Astor House Bed and Breakfast. Your innkeeper, Tom and Linda Steber, will provide you with a delicious, absolutely world-class breakfast every single morning. They will also make you feel welcome in any one of their five luxury accommodations, all of which have a private bath and some of which have their own jacuzzi. 
If you want to know what's going on around town, Tom and Linda will let you know about any special events, and they'll also make recommendations for you to any of the wonderful restaurants in town. So you can't beat it. Go. Go now. Go. Get away to Green Bay. For more information or for reservations, go to www.astorhouse.com. That's A-S-T-O-R-H-O-U-S-E.com. Get away to Green Bay. So how you been making out in pandemic? Oh, <laughs> it's been interesting. Actually, I uh, try to make a positive out of it, Eric. And mm. what I did was um, I had some uh, family loss and mm. I had started a project years ago. And then I said, because of that, I said, you know what, during this pandemic, I'm going to finish it. So I, I, yeah. I wrote a short book. And so the book was called A Pocket Full of Confidence, Self-Help for the Confidence Challenge. And what it was was a series of um, lessons I've been teaching people on how to train for jobs mm-hmm. and combined with theater tricks uh, to do that. And uh, I did it so I could dedicate it to my sister-in-law. Oh. So, um, who passed away, and uh, I finished that. So, because I, you, there was no place to perform, you yeah. know, really. So that was pretty hard. I, I, got, I know you were doing regular uh, going live a lot. Yeah, early on, anyway. Yeah, and also I'm fortunate creatively in that I have the radio show and my cable show, mm-hmm. so I was able to keep creative. But so I finished that one book, and then I thought, well, now it's the next year, and it's still the pandemic. What are you going to do? And I said. <laughs> Finish that other book. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. So this is the first. I I know you've put out CDs, albums, whatever they were when they were put out. Uh, <laughs> Back in the but, CD day, yes. I just actually I went on CD Baby for fun uh, <laughs> because I have three CDs on there, and I said that you can't cash out till you have ten dollars. Oh, so it's been like a year or two. So I was I just out of curiosity. I said, I wonder if I got up to ten dollars because they only pay you like. Point two of a cent. Oh, right, all these right. Apple and all these things. So I said, let me check. And I think I'm at $9.17. So I'm like, you know, 80 something cents away from cashing out. Oh, people, <laughs> people, you gotta, you gotta buy it. Wait, I, I know one of them has been, been one of our perennial no name gift suggestions. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, is, is that the one that's close to 10? Uh, no, it's, it's a combination of the three CDs and oddly, uh, this is hilarious because I guess they've been buying them for TikTok because uh, one thing I said, what are they buying so much for TikTok? And it's, uh, it's seven seconds of a m- maniacal laugh. I'm, <laughs> that's it. And I go, this is my top seller. Me going, ha, 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 ha. And oh, I'm like, that's man, my top that's seller. That's hilarious. So, <laughs> uh. That's my and, and you realize now that you've done that uh, on the podcast, people can just uh, snatch it from here and sample. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well. Oh, man. You shot yourself in the foot, man. Look <laughs> what know. you did. <laughs> but, uh, but so this is your first. <laughs> Probably would be more effective if I wasn't laughing over it. Um, so so but this is your first foray into, into putting out books. Uh, yeah, it was uh, like a bucket list thing that I wanted to do. And an interesting story about the second book mm-hmm. was. I had started it, I had found these poems I had written from when I was a 14 on till now. Mm. And I said, let me put those all together, the best ones, and start. And I started putting them together. And then I had compiled them from just, I found them, 
you know. Uh-huh. So then I said, let me put them together. And I started picking up. Did you up know the they were there when you found them? Uh, no, I was cleaning and I found them. <laughs> and I forgot I had written them. Right, and yeah, so okay. I started putting them together. And then I added some new ones. And I kept in my head going, something's missing. Some, it's just not something's missing. So I'm so clean whenever I'm in doubt, clean. Mm-hmm. And so I was cleaning and wedged in the back of my closet. I found a composition book that said 83 oh. to 86. And it was more poems. Wow. And now here's the thing. I originally had entitled the new book, Ah, Musings. Ah, A-H, Musings. Mm -hmm. The title on this book, composition book, on the front of the page, it said, Ah. Oh, man. From 83. So that was like, I said, it's a sign. Yeah, yeah, clearly. So then I I finished it up and I actually, and I was racing, (laughs) Gary, (laughs) racing before your wife and mine's birthday. (laughs) We don't know each other, but same birthday. And to said, I'm going to finish something by my birthday. And that's, so that's what I've been doing. And then. By the way, I'm sorry, forgive me for interrupting, but I want to be clear. Uh, She's referring to our producer, Gary's wife. Uh, (laughs) I, I'm still on the market. I, I come to think of it, I'm nearing ten bucks myself. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I'm sorry. But you were racing the birthday, so I, I finished it uh, in time for that because it was another thing that bucket list I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I guess I was fortunate in that I do, as you know, I take every job, so I do so <laughs> many side things to do whatever I don't the yard sale whatever I have to do or if it's writing for other people or Mm. anything people know that they can my joke's not working whatever they can call me and so whatever whatever paid I was doing during the pandemic but throwing myself into finishing a book was a big thing to me because for one thing it's poetry and it's really putting yourself on the line because not everybody likes poetry and uh the other thing was, I said, you're a comedian, you're writing poetry. And I, my inner conversation was, yes, but it's called, ah, musing. So you see, it's okay. <laughs> right, right. Justifying it to my inner voice, why well, yeah, it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, you can get past the inner voice, you, you can tackle everybody. Oh, yeah. So, so look, uh, so the, the, the title, uh-huh. remind me again? Ah, A-H, what, no, the, musings. Didn't you say confidence? Oh, the, that's the first book. The first book. Yeah, I want to go back to the first book for a second because I, I'm I'm curious. What what's that title again? A pocket full of confidence. A pocket full of confidence. I've known you for a long time. I, I you've always come across as a supremely confident person. <laughs> is, is that how a how you are, and b have you always been that way? Uh, well, I talk about it in the book in that I learned tricks along the way on how to present yourself as confident and how this even came about was I uh, I've been teaching improvisational comedy for years that's mm-hmm. one and then as a side thing somebody said to me I was uh, I'm a member of the Friars Club and they said oh my son's got eighty thousand dollars in debt and he can't get a job and it's like I said oh I can help him and he goes how I said I'll teach him how to interview and and pass the interview mm-hmm. and so I started working out people hiring me for their yeah. kids to get work and to how do you interview? And I said, how you walk into a room? Where how do you talk to a woman? If the woman's shorter than you, you sit down right away. You know? <laughs> and I never would have thought of that. I yeah, like that. But sit to ask me, I sit down. And just so that you're at her eye level and not towering over her and intimidating right. her. And uh, then I would help them with their resumes. I would look at their resumes and I was going, uh, what are you going for? Uh, uh, I got a degree in marketing. And I said, oh, okay. And I'm looking at their resume and I go, but you have the gap down here. 
I said, we gotta, <laughs> we have to fix this. And not nothing against the gap, by the way. But I said, let's fix this. I said, at any time while you were working, did you take something out of a box and put it on a shelf? And they <laughs> and said- And was that your primary function? And they said, yes. I said, you did inventory control. Nice. <laughs> so, and that's, so with that, combining theater tricks with, yeah. with, skills and not being afraid, the confidence factor. Uh, I, in a humorous way, I wrote a small little booklet that just, it's a good training thing or a quick read, but it helps people with that. Now, going back to <laughs> the confidence game, because I was on my own very young, I was 18, I took every job and I would lie about it. Mm -hmm. So if they asked me, could I do something? They'd say, can you dance? I go, nobody dances like I do. <laughs> So not, not quite telling a lie, you know. Can you sing? Nobody sings like I do. <laughs> so oh, that, I love that. That was my confidence game thing in doing it because I knew lie to get the job, you get one day's pay. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah. Before they find out. <laughs> Before they find out, get one day's pay. So that's what happened. All right, I'll move it along, but let me take my check with me. Let me, let me take my money with me. And, <laughs> and Oh, man, that's awesome. So again, during the pandemic, I was fortunate enough to be out in Long Island and located near me, I saw open mic at one of the restaurants. I said, open mic. And I said, I know they're gonna want musicians, but I do sing a little. So I just showed up there mm -hmm. as the only comedian. And I said, I'm a comedian, can I go on? I do sing a little. And they go, okay. And so during the pandemic, I was fortunate enough to have a venue every week and it wasn't like in New York City where you get five minutes. They would let me do 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so. And Nancy cracks her knuckles and said, 20 minutes? I'll do 20 minutes standing on my head. Yeah. So it was, I was fortunate with that. But I just, I kept busy and I just, during the pandemic, sought productive things to do, whether it's cleaning out a closet and finding stuff you didn't. I gotta say, I do love the cleaning aspect, Eric. The cleaning aspect is like shopping because mm -hmm. you go, I didn't know I had this. Yeah. I didn't know I had that too. <laughs> and I'm like cleaning and out my closet. Oh, I needed this hat. I have one. I don't have to buy it now. <laughs> shopping for forgotten aspects of you. Yeah. It's shopping you know? in your closet. What do we find here? Oh, this. I'll buy this. I need you that. Know? Yeah. So I am very fortunate in finding things that I didn't know I had. I was always amazed. When did I buy this? I don't know, but mm -hmm. I need it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. So. Well, Go ahead. If, if I may, uh, something I was thinking about on, on my way to meeting you today is that, I, you know, I've known you for a good length of time now, and you come across in, in, in my worldview as, as a native New Yorker, but I, I realize I don't honestly know if you are. Are you a native New Yorker? Uh, yes. Yes and no. Yes, I, <laughs> I was born in Yonkers, and when I was little, I lived in the, uh, the bad part of the Bronx uh, mm -hmm. growing up. And then I grew up in Florida. So I guess I must have been about 10, 9 or 10 when we moved to Florida. Mm -hmm. And if you can imagine that, moving to Florida with a Puerto Rican mother <laughs> with an accent, the only Spanish accent. This was before the all the Hispanics started coming to Florida. And she's the only one there. And you're going to a Southern school. And they're looking at you like... Hey, you talk funny. Where are you from? And I just would say up north. <laughs> try, to, try to explain. Kind, kind of applying the same trick. You know, yeah. no one comes from up north no, like, like I, I do. do. Yes. Uh, man. And because my mother had an accent, I didn't want to explain where Puerto Rico was in right, central Florida. Right. And uh, which is a roundabout way to getting how I got into comedy. Uh-huh. 
Eric, I was always a tiny kid. I was mm-hmm. tiny. I didn't grow till I was probably 14 or 15. I did not grow. Mm-hmm. I weighed, at 12, I weighed like 70-something pounds, and I was short. So my mother moved around a lot, so we were always at a new school. Mm-hmm. I was always going to a new school. So, you know, it was very mixed uh, schools at the time. Mm-hmm. And every school I went to, because I was different and didn't have a Southern accent, I got beat up. So, uh, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. But I learned, I said, there's got to be a way around this. Mm -hmm. So I learned, I said, you know what? Try and stall them talking to them. And so I tried a joke. And then I realized, if you could tell jokes, you could stall a beating. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, And so every new school I went to. And every now and then you might get yourself (laughs) out of one, right? So every new school, when we would move, I'd run to the library and start checking up home books and and joke books and start memorizing like the first day. So the first day, hey, where y'all from with that accent? I said, up north. And they go, oh, we don't like up north. I said, wait a minute. Do you want to hear a joke? <laughs> I think of what? And Look I, at this. Nancy Lombardo, age twelve, starts doing crowd work. <laughs> crowd work. So working I working st- the bullies. <laughs> so I work the bullies basically. Like, oh, she's funny. Leave her alone. Oh you know? man. So that's how I got into comedy. It was just a, a form of survival of being a little kid, not wanting to yeah. be smacked around. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear that. So it, it, obviously, it starts out as a defense mechanism. Was there any thought of of performing at that point, or was it just like just get through to tomorrow? Well, um, I think, I think I my brothers and I were always very creative and always. How many siblings? I have two brothers and one younger sister. So, um, well, actually, one brother now, one passed away because mm-hmm. as we get older, that happens, okay. and uh, so. We always had fun together. We were very creative and very imaginative. And that was before Game Boys or anything like that. And sticks were whatever you wands, you know, whatever mm. you wanted them to be. And we lived on an island. Uh, so we swam every day. But we always had fun together with each other. Nice. And then so we were always laughing. I mean, I, I would have to say the Spanish side of my family is hilarious. My grandmother <laughs> spoke no English, but I was always cracking up. I had no idea. Do you speak uh, Spanish? I speak some. Okay. Lo habla un poquito, muy malo. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so with that, you know, I guess what happened was in sixth grade, they had a talent show. And I said, you know what? I'm telling jokes anyway. I I got my friend to dress up. Let's be old ladies telling jokes, really old (laughs) ladies telling jokes. And she did it with me. Uh And that was the first time I performed, I guess. So again, 12. And so we told the jokes that had been saving my life. So we just did that. We were very Uh successful. And so I kind of like that. And that's about when I started writing poems and song parodies just for fun. And didn't so, know you were preparing a book. I did not know I was preparing something at the time. And then as that went on, I'm trying to think. I know. It was my last year of high school. We had, I had a humanities teacher, and we had to do a play. Mm-hmm. You know, They didn't have theater back then. The school was too poor for theater. But we did a play for the class. and uh, An original play? Uh, no, it was uh, called While Shakespeare Slept, and it was a parody of all of Shakespeare's plays. Oh, okay. So I played multiple parts in it. So I did that, and then I did a scene from um, My Fair Lady as well with the accent. And my humanities teacher, after I did a couple of these in her class, she just stopped me and turned to me and said, this is what you're going to do. Forget everything else. Oh, wow. She goes, you're born to this. She goes, pursue this. And so I just had one teacher who took an interest that turned into, uh, I got to junior college and I was going to be a television major, but it was all guys and the cameras weighed like 300 pounds. (laughs) And I, again, had only gained to a whopping 105 then. (laughs) 
And uh, it's hard to move around. And I uh, saw, I didn't have money, and I saw there were scholarships for theater. So I said, hmm, scholarships, huh? So I went and I auditioned the first thing I got because I could do an Irish accent in Florida. And I got into a play, and then I started getting scholarships. And I had another teacher, mm-hmm. took an interest in me, helped me get more scholarships, helped me get jobs. Then by the time I got to senior college, I got another. They just kept taking interest in me and said, there's something about you. I just want to help you. Oh, and man. Not I, having I get a, that, though. <laughs> not having a family, it was great because I had all these support. And yeah. as we know, great friends make all the difference. That, and absolutely. That would absolutely. feed me what, and whatever, you know. So, What college did you go to? I went to Pensacola Junior College, mm-hmm. which was a – it's a military town, so <laughs> – yeah. I'd be the only girl in class with all retired military guys. I'll get that for you, Nancy. Okay, you know. It's just, <laughs> so it's just like, okay. Could come in handy. Yeah, all these big guys. And then I went to the University of West Florida. Mm-hmm. Again, I got more scholarships. And I, I was breaking barriers even then, Eric. I got the first technical scholarship. And it, I, I don't know if the professor's still alive. I'm not going to say his name. But it killed him because they couldn't get a guy to go out for it. It was a scholarship, and it was building sets. Oh, wow. And I was the only woman who knew how to build sets and read a blueprint. And he would try to go for the scholarship. He goes, no, get Nancy to do it. I can't read a blueprint. (laughs) Nancy knows how to work a drill press. I learned every tool. a drill drill press press like Nancy. (laughs) Yes. So I learned every tool, and I was the first woman they gave a technical scholarship to. Oh, wow. So I was just like, because nobody does it like I do. <laughs> Hashtag badass. Badass. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> so that was it. And then I getting back to the New York experience, uh-huh. as you know, um, you just have to find workarounds and realize it's not you that you're not performing. It's not you. Find something yeah, else. Yeah. It has nothing to do with you or your talent. It's what you do, not who you are. Actually, you know, it's funny you say that because it, that actually is a key part of uh, No Names Evolution. We started out as a sketch comedy group, uh, and uh, the woman I started the, the group with and I used to talk about someday doing additionally, basically the format we do nowadays is a variety thing, and that was because we knew so many super talented people who were just finding it so hard to get stage time because... They're beyond the point of, of, you know, working all the open mics, but they're not at that level where they're getting headlining money or whatever, and they're just looking for a place to do their thing. And we decided that we wanted to give them a place to do it. And hopefully, and it, it evolved, it, it evolved into a place to to try out stuff so that, you know, like it's a risk-free place to try out the stuff that you do in that. So exactly what you're saying, and it's hard for people especially I think for people who don't come up in New York to understand, because, you know, people move here and like with the idea of I'm good enough to do it and get here. And if they don't get work, you know, they start to take it personally sometimes. Like if you come up through it, you kind of know it like, no, everybody here is good. It's, you know, well, uh, Eric, I mean, a testament to you. It was like you had well-known comedians begging for spots. I'm not going to say who, but <laughs> a lot of have had Nancy their own. Lombardo. No, not me, but they uh, had their own TV specials and begging for spots. Can you put me on? And you would give them a spot. Well-known people. Well, you yeah. know, I, thank you. It, 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 it's kind of a combination of things. And part of it, we've done it so long that a, a lot of those people, you know, were doing our shows before they had the TV stuff, you know. And the other thing is that, 
when those people kept coming back, then they're meeting the people who are doing the TV stuff, and they're like, oh, you should come down. So it's like kind of a word of mouth thing or whatever. It's, it's you know, it, it's one of those things that sometimes it's just a matter of of not going home and stopping doing it. We yeah. we just kept doing it, and it's like, oh, well, we know of this place to go do this. You know what I mean? And Eric made it so convenient for me to have to go to the street, <laughs> cross the street to find it. <laughs> oh, wait, I, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you. Um, I haven't made a formal announcement yet, but at the time of pandemic, there were three venues we were doing regular shows out of. Uh, and we now have plans to return to two of them. We're working on the third. We're walk- working on the one across the street from you. We are, <laughs> we are really hoping to uh, return to Otto Shrunken Head uh, sooner than later. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure everything will work out however it's supposed to work out. But uh, we're, we're hoping that we can return there. So, you know, if we run too late, we can just come over here and crash. Okay. So, uh, okay. <laughs> all right. So so let, let's go back. So, so, right, so you're... you're doing all sorts of uh, academic acrobatics and you're, you're doing stuff that's never been done before. Do you have a return to New York in your sights? What, do you have a plan? Um, well, I, I find it interesting that, you know, writing the the poetry thing was kind of cathartic in itself. Some are funny, some are serious, some are poignant, but... It seems like there's something there with the poetry. I might do a reading of it, or mm-hmm. but with people I know picking different poems to read and something. There's it's there's entertainment it's- and poignant. So I'm thinking of and doing something different. I think stand up comedy right now it's such a glut mm-hmm. of stand up comedy, and it's it's almost like people with no material are getting up and just doing it for five. They pay five dollars and they get up and right. they're doing it, and then there's. Um, like uh, some of the people I love, like uh, the tell a great storyteller sometimes, like Tom Newell and Lisa Harmon, mm-hmm, who just, mm-hmm. I love Lisa. Yeah. And just like, I call her, I say, why don't you just give in and be biker chick comedian? I just want her to be biker chick, you know, wear a leather <laughs> jacket and be biker chick because I love her stuff. Uh, and uh, then you have people like Jane Condon, who's always reinventing oh, yeah, herself. And there, there's so many talented people up there. And uh you have people like Susan Jeremy who do one-person oh, shows. Yeah, oh, seen her pandemic story. Yeah. Pandemic story. So uh, she was supposed to go to Edinburgh to, that, to do the festival, and it was the middle of uh, the pandemic happened. And and uh, so I said, no problem. We'll just do your show in my backyard. <laughs> and so we did her show in my backyard, and we invited the neighborhood. Everybody was outside, wore oh, masks, and she did her show. For like, it was a pretty large audience. I mean, I think maybe 40 people, more than you get usually in a... Yeah. (laughs) And everybody, you had to sit with your own family and you had to wear a mask and Mm -hmm. it was outdoors. But, you know, you did something during the pandemic. So I did work around. I didn't know about that. I I would have tried to come down there. (laughs) Well, you'd have to go to Long Island to get there. But yes, it's... (laughs) Well... But it was just workarounds. And I think that's the way it has to be. Find your workaround. Uh And Uh stand-up comedy... I think, Eric, it's different. When people started out doing stand-up comedy, it was so that you get an agent or that you would get discovered or you get a TV show. Or I you was going to say, for a lot of folks, it, it wasn't even about the stand-up. It was about the end game of getting the sitcom. Yeah, getting a commercial agent, auditioning, you know. So it was about getting that. And I think it's a different time now. I think it's like uh, for stand-up comedians, they want to know, well, What's your Twitter following? What's your TikTok yeah, following? It's about, the social media. it's about the social media. So it's it's talent optional. Mm. And, and you wouldn't today have a 
a Steve Martin kind of comic or a Lily Tomlin kind of comic because nobody's going to give somebody, I just want to tell a story as a character. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. nobody's going to give them that break anymore to do that, which I feel that that should be coming back because we're, it's, we've turned it into totally binge watching things. So it's becoming more of a visual medium for the theater to say, to do that, just Mm -hmm, that people mm want to go, oh, all right, just don't tell me joke, 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 joke. And why? Then, why? Well, you know, at the same time, it, it will, it'll be interesting to see how it develops because one thing about uh, the YouTube and, and TikTok social media universe is that uh, it's a place that, that in some ways could be more embracing of character stuff like Lily Tomlin because you, you, you can set it up, you know, with you know, with costume or whatever you want to and you've just got that little segment you don't have to you know, be off to the side, getting into character or whatever, and then come out on the mic. You know what I mean? So, I mean, it, it well, I think- your show I, was kind of like that. No name was like that because you'd yeah. mix it up. You had music. You'd have some people doing poetry sometimes. You'd mm-hmm, have some people mm-hmm. doing magic. <laughs> yeah. Have- we actually, uh, <laughs> our friend Lee Allen Barrett was a, a recent guest on the podcast. He's yeah. an interesting guy. Very, very funny, very talented, but like an interesting guy. I would guy. like to uh, experience radio magic. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that. He made an elephant appear. <laughs> How did he do that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I wasn't too happy about the elephant. Um, <laughs> it's a great trick, but I can only do it once. Um, <laughs> but anyway, but so, so, but so, did you have in your sights a return to New York, or is that just something that happened no, along the always. way? No, always. I love New York. And okay. I, I think that, uh, you know, it's so funny how people like uh, try to put New York City people on the defensive once you leave the city. Right. You know, right. it's like, well, I have no use for New Yorkers and I have no use. And it's, you don't want to say anything. You right. Because you're not looking to start <laughs> no, shit. But the, you want to say, how's the North 40 going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And but to say that you have no use for New York, it's such a cultural center. And. You know, I can't wait to go check out the Titanic exhibit. And there's just always something. I'll give you an example. This mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. I can say Stuyvesant Town. So I'm in Stuyvesant Town. And it's 8 o'clock at night. I'm bored. I watched, binge-watched everything. <laughs> I have nothing to do. I said, oh, you might as well go to sleep. As I get ready for bed, I start hearing music outside. I open <laughs> my window. And I said, that sounds really close. And then my inner voice again goes, well, why don't you go find out where it is, Nancy? Well, I'd have to get dressed again. Well, just get dressed again and just go look. So I said, okay, I'm getting dressed. And I went outside and it was a live blues show going on like not, you know, 300 feet away from me. And I was like with a stage and great singers. And I was like, and I'm outside and it's dark and I'm dancing by myself. But I go, that is so New York. Yeah, That's what I love about New York in that you go outside and you experience experience it and it's there or somebody you know it's just the humor in even some of the downtrodden I think that the funniest thing somebody said to me once a guy was lying in the gutter like literally drainage coming (laughs) over him from the the water and goes hey lady you got a cigarette and he goes I said no I quit and he goes Hey, you don't expect me to give up everything do you oh man (laughs) and I laughed at that I thought that was so He's right. I said, hold on. I'll go buy you a pack. That's yeah, let me get you. You know, you win. You win <laughs> yeah, at that. Right. And it's just so. And also, I found I that the, the the stories that were happening uh, 
during the pandemic, even mm. like uh, my uh, neighbors who um, she has Sarita's mac and cheese. I don't know if you like mac and cheese, but yeah. yes, it's the best. Yeah, and it's over here on on Twelfth and First. And during the pandemic, she didn't let people go. Instead, she accepted donations. And if you gave a donation, she would put it towards bringing food to the frontline workers at the hospital. Oh, nice. To keep, and then that kept her people employed. And then she put a refrigerator outside, like a pantry for people. Uh, and uh. so it was just that experience to mm. me. Like New Yorkers were just so there for each other, whether it's canned goods or helping each other out in any way you can mm. or, you know, doing it. I I, I kind of think it's been in the news, Eric, but, yeah. you know, because of the hurricanes and stuff, Sandy, Sandy just like was the precursor to COVID <laughs> for New York City. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. And people didn't have electricity. People lived so many stories up, you know, nothing was working. Yeah. And it was like, oh, my gosh, this is like, oh, this is terrible. It couldn't get worse than this. Uh, and then the pandemic comes, and then you got then you've got people being angry, like mm. but at the wrong they're being angry at the wrong thing. Right, right. You know about if you're too close to them, if you know wear your mask, and mm. I, I would be in Trader Joe's or something, and I'd have my mask like just to breathe. I'd pull it a little bit away, and mm. somebody would start <laughs> yelling at me, "Wear your mask! Wear your mask!" And they're screaming at me, "Wear your mask!" And I said, I thought to myself, if you really want to get my attention and I'm in a store, don't say wear your mask because I'm going to just ignore that. Say right. alligator. <laughs> and I'm going <laughs> to and I'm going to what? Yes. Well, there's oh. something you don't see every day, Edgar. <laughs> what is that, Chauncey? <laughs> alligator. So I said, so I said, say alligator. I will definitely pay attention <laughs> if I'm a Trader Joe's. And, and it's funny because actually what I was seeing more was with people yelling at people who were wearing masks, like, you don't need to wear that hoax. And like, oh man, you're in the wrong part. Of the yes. Um, we had a local doing that too. It's, it's a conspiracy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But just yeah. in case I'll just put this on. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Um, but so, all right. So you always wanted to get back to New York. Uh, what, what got you here? Oh, uh, oh, what you mean growing up? No, I mean, uh, you know, you getting out, uh, get out of college and how did you make your way back to New York? Because I am the luckiest person ever. As I said, my theater professors loved me mm -hmm. and right out of college, I he got me a job and I toured, oh, nice. I toured Vermont. And so then I knew I was going to, I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to New York. And I, I, you know, ended up like living on somebody's couch mm -hmm. and then renting a room. I, everything just kept falling into place. And an interesting story is I I worked with the, the most talented group of people. It was called the First Amendment. I, I, I was hoping you would bring that up because yeah. I really wanted to, you know, I, it, I don't want to get in the way of your telling the story, but I have to say I was telling our producers, like, comparatively new to New York and and I was telling him that first amendment was was huge in New York and it bothers me that I don't know if it's given its proper due you know these days or whatever but I mean I remember coming up when I was in college first amendment was a big big deal it was it was for a while until um Chicago City Limits came here. It was the longest yeah. running improv show in New York City because it ran from, and I'll tell you the genesis of the show. Remember mm. that nobody does anything like me story? Uh, yeah. So I saw an audition and it said, wanted funny acts. Now I didn't have an act. But I went and this to the, is when you're when you're new here, right? Yeah, I just got or here. Or new newly returned. In New York, yes, uh, which was 77. And when I got here, I saw the audition in you know, one of the uh, theatrical papers. I mm -hmm. said, I'm going to go. 
Now, I didn't have an act. And uh-huh. so I showed up and she says, well, what do you do? I said, I make funny noises. <laughs> now, now to preface that, when I was in college, my professor um, got me into doing radio commercials. Uh-huh. Now, they would hire me for the radio commercials because they only needed one of me to do mm. all the voices. Oh, yeah. So, I get that. you know, whether it was like jungle noises or something, <laughs> you know, anything like that. To the little old lady. Oh, I need salve, you know? Uh-huh, and uh-huh. so, or creaking doors. <laughs> you know, so it's just like. By the way, if these noises are on any of your other albums, you realize you're yes, totally screwing up your I sales. know they're going to buy them again. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, my go ahead. So, so you're doing laugh. all the noises. So I did on the noises. So I. All I did was when I she says, "What do you do?" I started doing all those noises, and I I used to I used to do best audition best ever ever, and I just started doing the noises, and then I go um, I do imitations, and she goes, "Well, what what do you imitate?" I say, "I do a cricket," and so uh, I would do the sound of a cricket while rubbing my legs together like as a cricket. <laughs> oh, that is awesome, and just just. Since you can't see it, like like myself, uh, she was rubbing her legs while she did that. Uh, the, the visual together. rubbing my legs together, and I do that in auditions, and people fall over yeah, with that because yeah. I, I I can do a cricket, but I would rub my legs. It was like that was making the sound. <laughs> so so with that, throwing your voice to yourself. So with that audition, yeah. that was which was for Barbara Cantardi. That audition, she said. Well, you're not blonde, but I'm going to use you anyway. You're going to be the billboard girl at the Actors Playhouse, and you can do one minute of anything in between each acts while we change. Oh, wow. So I just did bizarre stuff in between each acts. Uh, I would just change a costume and come out and then put the billboard up, and that would be it. And then the show closed, and she goes, well, gee, uh, what else can you do? And I said, well, nobody does improv like I do. (laughs) (laughs) So she goes, great, let's start a company. So we started one. And one of the original members. Oh, so you 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 were one of the creators of it. Basically, it was created around me. Okay. <laughs> because so we we've crea- got the sound effects. Let's get some show. So we we had a short show, and I, Joey Novick, I think, was a part of that one oh, too. Oh wow, I know him. Yes, yeah, so, I know him as a storyteller, actually. Yes, yeah, so he was in that originally group. Then that mm-hmm. stopped for a while, and then uh, I think we performed at like places like Chili Etc. and stuff like that. Then uh, she says, "Well." Uh, we need more people. So she had auditions, and that's where people like Tom Carosa came in. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael, uh, uh, Bruce Willis, Pat Bailey, mm-hmm. Jane Brucker. Oh, uh, Jane and, and Tom. I guess Tom Carosa and I are officially the longest running members of the the company there. And Michael Schaefer, and then Kim Sykes, and Clara Rodriguez, and Sharon Breslow. So it was the most talented group of people I ever worked with. Well, I haven't heard some of those names in a long I while. Know. And it's just, and I'm still friends with all of them. Joe Purse. Well, I forget Joe. How can mm. I forget Joe? And Chris Grappenstein, who now is a children's writer. He's oh, like wow. a famous children's writer, author. And all these people came out of this. And I knew at the time when I was working with them that this would be the most talented group of people I ever worked with in my life. And I mm. embraced it. Yeah. I said, I didn't say like, I'm going to be a star. I'm, You know, I just would do my job and just, I'm very competitive, of course. But... <laughs> I just, I knew it. And every, you looked forward to doing the show because you mm-hmm, didn't know what mm-hmm. was going to happen. And I learned so much from each and every one of them about something. Yeah. And it was just, um, uh, it was such a great experience. And the sh- we toured the United States. We were on TV shows. Uh, Suskind gave us his show twice. I, I saw that. Yeah. I, I remembered seeing that. Like, I, I didn't, 
immediately connect it when I started to go out and actually see comedy live for myself or whatever. But I, I want to ask you, when did you get your first, uh, you guys had a theater for a while. When did you first get that? Uh, well, let's see. We had a theater. Where were we? Per- I've got to remember where we were performing. We were. We started at Theater Twenty Two on Twenty Second Street. Oh, jeez. And that. Uh, I, I, yes. You know. I did some stuff there. Yeah. And that's when uh, Bruce Willis was with the group. Bruce wow. Willis was with the group, and then we had uh, an, that. We had a bunch of other members like uh, Michael Patrick King and Don Rivera who were in the group, and they split uh, off and they uh, formed uh, Broadway Local. Okay. Now. Michael Patrick went on to write Sex in the City, as you know, okay, mm-hmm. so talented people. So then we were short some people who weren't, who were still training. And one of those people was, uh, she goes, what are we going to do? We're short two people. I said, put Pat Bailey and Bruce Willis in the show. But they're not ready. They're not ready. I said, who cares? Look at them. <laughs> One's a former Miss Virginia, you know. And that's Bruce, who's just handsome and funny. So yeah, and, and he that, just had a certain magnetism. Oh, always funny, know. and he was a great musician, and would jam the harmonica mm-hmm. and blues. And so that's how that show ended up running, and people coming in and out of it for years and years. Mm. It, it ran for a long time, and then yeah. I think one of the members we had a reunion show when one of the members lost his wife, and he was part of a church group, and he said. You know, I brought him, I said, would you like to see all your old friends? And we had it here, and I played old videos. Mm-hmm. And then he called and said, would you guys be interested in doing a charity event, like a reunion show for my uh-huh. church? We said, you bet. And then we had a reunion show, which we did to help raise money. And I think we did it twice, two uh-huh. shows for that. So it was great. We always stayed in touch. So this family that met like in from 77 on, we're still in touch. We're still family we still used to watch each other's kids you know mm-hmm. and it's just it's great i uh, such talent such amazing talent absolutely I, I i may have told you this story in the past but i um when i was in college i'm i'm and you must have been really young because I'm I'm not that far behind. We're we're <laughs> yes, we're I, competitively aged. I, I was very young, <laughs> but uh, but I I when I was in college and I, I, I don't think I had officially declared as a theater major at that point, but my class schedule told you I was a theater major. <laughs> um, and uh, in one class, uh, the teacher uh, gave us the assignment we had to take in a show of some sort and write a report on it. And I, uh, myself and, and one of my classmates, we decided we wanted to go see First Amendment. And we, we it was a Saturday night. We came to like an 11 o'clock show. It was, it was late, I know that. It was in the St. Mark's area, uh, St. Mark's Place area. Uh, and Bond I Street, mean, to Bond Street. Okay, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. And I just remember we just had the best time. I, I don't remember what I got for the paper. In fact, I don't remember if I did, in fact, turn in the paper. But I, I, I you you were talking about what you found in your closet cleaning up uh, a couple of years ago while I was doing a similar thing, which is a lot rarer for me. Um, <laughs> I came across the program from there, and oh lo and behold, who was in there but Nancy Lombardo. Oh, I my like, God. I work with her now, you know? <laughs> and I, I can't tell you what, what an impact that that show had on me. I did later on. Uh, oh, maybe I'm maybe I'm, I'm I'm saying something in betrayal. I did later on see Chicago City Limits at some point, but seeing First Amendment just and it was funny too because I I don't know what was going on with you time wise uh, timeline wise uh, as a group, but I know by the 
time I had seen them, I had either seen you guys on Suskind or had I, I remember definitely hearing you guys on some radio program, some talk show. Uh, actually, uh, on Bill Boggs' Comedy Tonight. We were on Comedy Tonight twice. Oh, I, shows. oh I, maybe that was it. And and I um, and I also had taken notice that on uh, like the some of the late night talk shows, if there was a comic on, they would sometimes say you know can be seen at first. You guys used to have occasional guest comics, right? Uh, yeah, it's uh, they used to have a thing called Comedy Elite, which started at midnight. Ah, okay, and that okay. would be like um, uh, Colin Quinn would be there, and it was just you know comics testing out stuff at midnight. Right. So I didn't see that show, but I was aware that stand-ups were coming through there as well, even though I I knew it was a, an improv troupe. But I, I, just, anyway, just it was, it was I know, and, and, and if I can just parenthetically add, uh, again, I was telling our producer earlier that um, it's funny, as many years as you've been doing our show, um, when when you first started doing our show, I was like, got Nancy Lombardo oh, to do stop. our show. It was, no, it was, a big, <laughs> it was a big deal to me because it, you you started hanging out with us around the time we were first starting to get some people who had a little name recognition coming through and you were one of the first ones. And it was like, I could, I, I honestly, it, <laughs> and, and it, it, it may seem a little silly now, but I remember the first time I asked you, it was like, I hope. I hope it's okay to ask her to do our little dog and pony show, or whatever. And it was, just, it was just, it was a. But you know what? It, it was, although my I may have been overreacting in that regard. It was meaningful to us because we could say, you know, someone like Nancy Lombardo is doing our show, and that was that was a very big deal for us. And I, I've always been appreciative of that because you you always not only bring the funny, but you bring that energy and people respond to that. So anyway, let's go back to First Amendment. So, all right, <laughs> so you guys are, 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 are oh, it's, kicking ass. It's great. And that uh, turned into, spawned into people coming up to me after the show and said, hey, I, I'm the president of Pfizer. I want to do, uh, do a spoof show. Can you do a spoof show for my workers? Because we take them. Last year, I had them kidnapped and... Uh, <laughs> And they weren't responsive a, a to a Wild that. West theme or something like <laughs> right. that. And so uh, it ended up, I ended up writing these shows, mm-hmm. partially improv, pro- partially staged for corporations. So that turned into ah. that. And then uh, turned That's into writing pretty lucrative, right? murder mysteries. I always hire the same people. I hire my friends. What? You're flying me to Puerto Rico? I'm hiring my people I want to party with. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so that turned into, everything evolved. And I ended and up- In Puerto Rico, did they make fun of your English accent? No, because I did Spanish in Puerto Rico. <laughs> in Puerto Rico, actually, the uh, the thing I wrote was that, uh, and I was the only one who could really speak Spanish yeah. of the cast. And <laughs> it was they were eating. It was very funny. They were eating sushi, so they're all sitting on the floor. So I said, I told the guy, "We're going to be the worst waiters they've ever had in their life. <laughs> we're going to be the worst." And I had uh, I had uh, I, like I had uh, Jane Brucker and Michael Schaefer fighting over one guy. I saw him first. No, I saw him first. You <laughs> bitch, you get out of my way. He's mine. And the guy's, I'm nobody's. I'm nobody's. Everybody, I'm nobody's. And then I was pouring sake from a standing position. And they were like, what are you doing? And one woman stabbed me with a fork. Get away from me. Get away from me. 
And we did that until then we finally broke and told them what that we were there to entertain them. Right. So, right. but it was just fun. And we just. I like that. We did acting gigs. We did TV gigs. We just were like a family. When anything came up or side jobs, we all helped each other get a side job. Again, the most uh, brilliant people um, and brilliant not just in stand, I mean, comedy, but brilliant as uh, like Tom Crowe is a great artist and a mm -hmm. great writer and um, a lot of people are great singers or, you know, Michael Schaefer's now back into singing and doing improv again, which mm -hmm. is nice and just talented. It's just we we had so much fun together, even when we used to do murder mystery. We do murder. There was we wouldn't even write the murder mysteries. Basically, don't tell the people. We would right. just we would just show up and just start improvising the murder mystery. Yeah, well, I mean, you, your strengths and you you already had those relationships forged, so you, uh, forged so you know each other's, you know, uh, inclinations. You have a certain chemistry or whatever, so you can do that with a certain amount of fearlessness. I would imagine. And, and yes, and that that's that's the great part. You were talking about New York City again, going back to New York City, mm -hmm. and that uh, I just. Love New York City because it's it's a perpetual stage. Mm -hmm. It's a per mm -hmm. perpetual stage in mo motion. And especially uh, if you're a comedian or you're from New York and you, you do something spontaneous, it really throws people off. I, I, just, <laughs> I just got back from, I went to Disney World with my sister and I had the best time. Alice, nice. thank you. And Daryl, thank you. I mean, but we're kids. She and I are like the hu her husband's, I'm not writing those rights, you know, but we <laughs> would, we didn't care. It was the dwarfs of Space Mountain. It was Battlestar, you know, whatever. There's yeah. A galaxy. And we had the best time. So when you're in Disney World, if you belong as a member, like uh -huh. you have a year's pass, they have a watch you wear and they'll locations to take pictures of you and your family. Oh, nice. So a family was standing up against the fence as I was looking at what they were doing. And the woman who was taking the picture said, aren't you going to get in the picture? And I said, no, I'm not part of that family. And then I ran over to them and got in the picture and said, but I can be. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> they started laughing and they said, can we have that one too? <laughs> pretty, pretty straightforward photobombing there. Photobombing, uh, but that's what I like about New York is that you can talk to anybody and make them laugh. And mm -hmm. just, I just think that, um, you know, I guess when I was saying it's not who you are, it's what you do, not who you are. But sometimes it is who you are, that mm -hmm. you are inside funny. And if you see somebody and you want to make them laugh, the opportunity is always there. So just, you, when you're doing First Amendment, uh, are you doing stand-up at that point? Uh I I was doing some stand up, but it would be where, where did that start? Uh, did you, did you I just have would it? go to I go to Mike's and I'd wait forever and mm -hmm. you know, uh or when uh I would it was it was a different scene. It was not a good yeah. scene, you know, because everybody was pretty much uh, high on something. <laughs> and it's right. for a woman at the time, I mean oh. it was just forget it. The guys yeah. you couldn't even reason with them, no, get away. <laughs> You know, you're drunk and you're on something. Go away, go away. And it just got to be too overwhelming for me. And I said, I don't need this, uh -huh. this constant, just because I'm a woman, the only one here performing, you know. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that yeah. you have to give credit to people like who trailblazers like Elaine Boozler, mm, who, yeah, who just great. fought for her stage time and, yeah. you know, didn't want to be defined as a woman as she, I'm a comedian. And yeah, that's it. Yeah. And she, you know, she's one of the few people that owned all of her HBO specials because no one. I didn't would. know that. She owns them all, and you can order them, and she gives the money back to her charity, Tales of Joy, which is for oh, rescues and dogs and things. So, But because nobody would pay for it, she said, I'll back myself, and she did it. 
And wow. she owns everybody else. Goodbye money, you know. Yeah. So would people like her. So I, I did stand up for a little while. Then I thought after improv had become another glut. There were so many improv companies in New York. So, oh, another one. Okay. Every, everybody can do improv now, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I and, said- And, and you, know, you know what? I, I, I'm glad you bring that up because when No Name started uh, around 94, um, we were initially a sketch group. And I have to tell you, when, when we first started, I didn't see anybody doing live sketch there's like at that time there were only like three groups that i i knew of but you could not walk down the street without tripping over an improv troupe and a lot of what the improv scene had devolved into is what i call stand-up improv it wasn't really improv it was just you know comics who couldn't get work as a stand-up saying well let's do improv and it basically just Telling bad off the cuff jokes on on the mic. Yes, and and really with no one like that's not improv. No integrity, and the difference was that I loved about the First Amendment is we didn't use costumes. No costumes. Mm-hmm. If it was we had a prop, it was the chair. That was it. Yeah, you know? that's it. We used what was there, and we didn't. Have and you to had rely. a piano, right? We had yes, we always yes, we always had, and actually we had great pianist. Mm-hmm. Uh, let well, me. You have to be to do that. Well, kind of I'm going to give you the. Uh, chron- chronological thing yeah uh mark hardwick was a piano player for the first amendment Mm -hmm. and he was pump boys and dinettes the musical that was him and then we had uh elliot paul who played for years he's still around love elliot good friend and Uh he's a great pianist because he he just he he would be laughing at us while he was playing the piano and just like whatever would go with it then we had art laviola who was a genius piano player but very concert oriented and very just say no no just play reggae goes like eh, 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 eh. that's all you have <laughs> and uh then we had from him he brought in uh-huh. somebody who now is a world renowned pianist and touring the world uh Billy Charlap now oh, i don't wow. know if you've heard of billy charlap but name, yeah. yes he's a famous concert pianist yeah. and um uh, I think he did uh, his last thing was with uh, Tony Bennett. So he did a thing, but he's toured the world now as, as a famous. And when he started, he was seventeen, oh, barefoot, wow. long hair, and now he's no, it's Bill now, Bill Charlap. It's but not Billy anymore. <laughs> so with him, the hair goes, you lose the why. And then uh, it would crack me up because then I made a friend years later at the Friars Club, um, another comedian. Her name was uh, Sharon Fearon. And she goes, I used to watch you when I was a kid. I said, hey, hey, <laughs> when I was a no, kid. Notice how I was very careful when I said I saw you when I was, was in college. And we were the same age. Yes. Yeah. But she was, I think, in LaGuardia High School. But she was friends with Billy Charlap. And they would bring his homework to the theater for him. <laughs> so oh, our, awesome. our pianist wasn't even legal playing for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so it, it was great that way that we, you know, that we have it. But that's what was great about No Name because – when you get there, you you never knew what you were going to see that night. It's gonna it's gonna be it's not going to be all stand ups, right? You know you'll see stand up, but what else varies yeah, from show or, to or, show? Or, or someone like me who goes, okay, and now I'm going to do a song in the key of G. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to improvise. That's become a, blues. a staple of your appearances at our shows, <laughs> at least at, at Otto's. You know. Yes, yes, and I love my theme song that the band decided. I should oh be. yes, that's right. That's right. That that's Carl Fortunato doing that. Uh, Iron, uh, Man. Iron Man, yeah. And I said, "Really, How Iron Man?" How did that come about? He Dude. just he just started it. Uh, 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 uh. I'm like, "Really, me? You know, heavy metal? 
That was my, uh, he made that my theme song. So, yes, I love the band and Alex, DeSouza, and everybody. And, of course, we lost one of the band members. Fernando, yes. Fernando. And just the musicians you would have every now and then. That girl who played the saxophone was amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, she's a scientist. No. (laughs) Yeah, she's a scientist. No? Really? Yes, really. An amazing saxophone player and a scientist? (laughs) Yes. Oh, man. And that's why why she's no longer with the band. We, you know, if she passes Science needs me. I must go. Uh, Pretty much. Pretty (laughs) much. I I, I don't know where she is right now. She's uh, the wonderful Jesse Allen. Uh, She's, at last I heard she was uh, doing work in, in Switzerland. Um, and I, I, I've lost track. She may be back now, but <laughs> and now a momentary pause for amoebas. <laughs> I, 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 I gotta tell you that that's I've never heard anyone do an amoeba impression before. Um, it's a little known impression. And well, um, you know, but know. but now we you have just, to listen really close to the microscope. We we've just now expanded the the audience for amoeba imitations by two. Um. <laughs> But all right, so anyway, yeah, it's nice that you, you said that's one of the reasons we're anxious to get back to Otto's. Much we love the other places, Otto's the only place where we can really, uh, out of our regular spots, where we really break out and, the wait, band and do everything that everything. we do. And I love now, I have to describe Otto's because some people don't know what it looks <laughs> like. Now, you, when you walk into Otto's, first off, you're greeted by a big, burly man named Father Vincent at the door, <laughs> like a biker dude. He's huge. And, <laughs> and he checks he checks your ID. Thank you for checking. Uh, <laughs> and uh, at the door. And then you go through uh, a Hawaiian theme, and there are blowfish hanging from the ceiling in all different colors and different color lights and drinks on fire. Uh, <laughs> yes. As yes. you you pat now, we're not even to the stage yet. This is just walking <laughs> through. This is your gauntlet that you go through. Uh, uh, people dressed in the fifties with red lipstick and skirts and poodle skirts as you're going through. That, and then you true, then they have you a get, lot of fifties nights. Yes, the fifties music nights. and stuff. Then you get to the the stage, which the longest running joke is, at last, the set from the Brady Bunch Hawaiian trip. <laughs> 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 It's, fu- it's funny, <laughs> uh, comics who have done our show most regularly there all have their own little comments about uh, it. Bruce Cherry uh, used to joke about uh, you know, being New York's most flammable bar. He had to stop do- <laughs> He had to stop doing that a- after they actually had a little fire there. Oh. Uh, but, but yeah, it, 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 it's, it's an awesome tiki bar that has its very own uh, distinct vibe and... and uh, they're 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 awesome, but they're a little weird, and we're a little weird, and I think it works out. But it's that fifties tiki bar. It's not even like modern. It's like they have. Backs. Well, it depends on when you go and what the music is that yeah. night. It really does depend. No, I'm at the backstage room. The design of the room, which oh, okay, is okay. red red patent leather seats oh, yeah, against yeah, yeah, the yeah. wall. In that regard, you're right. Yeah, and that in that regard, then it had tiki's actual tiki's there. <laughs> then it had a a, a um a gobo gobo slot. That showed waves on the back wall. So while you're performing, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're trying not to look at the waves that are be- are behind the audience because yeah, it's waves. I'm, I'm sitting in the back of a tiki bar. Why am I feeling slightly seasick? <laughs> uh, it, 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 the beverages, uh, awesome custom beverages. Uh, wait, n- now I'm starting to sound like I'm I'm I'm, I'm doing a, a promo for them. But we love the place. We're, oh, we're yeah. just thrilled that they've they've survived pandemic. Oh, and happy hour before eight. So, uh, <laughs> so get your two drinks now. Are, 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 are you taking a little money on the side? No, no, Is that no. the deal? <laughs> They're financing the book deal this way. No, so. I, I took my sister there once, and I just happened to be, it used to be, it was two for one. 
And, oh, I, and okay. I went to her, second drink's on me. You know? <laughs> nice, She didn't nice. know it was two for one, but it's don't just- Don't tell her. Don't tell her. But it's just, it was so much fun there. It's so much how, fun. How did we land here? <laughs> Telling your story and all of a sudden we're, we're talking about- uh... Because it's part of my story because I would have to cross the street to go. And some nights you would just call me and say, Nancy, what are you doing? Three we people- We had a last minute cancellation, yeah. yeah. <laughs> three people dropped out. So that's me. <laughs> Yeah, Alex. or 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 the other other end, you know, on the rare night, is it a rare night where you're like, hey, it's Friday night, I actually don't have any gigs tonight. Eric, you got room, man? Well, come by, we'll find room. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I'm not doing anything. Yeah, so exactly. we got, and it was and so you traveled all the way over. And we, cross we gotta, the street. We got to hook you up. Got to cross the street. No, it's 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 but fun. So, to... so so when you first started doing stand up, it, it it was definitely not a, a an not environment for me. friendly for, for no, it wasn't for me. And then mm-hmm. I thought, well. You know what? Let me. I I had some. Oh, wait a minute. Remember the backtracking to nobody does sure. things like I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you said, "When did you get back to stand up?" I forgot. I left out a very important part. When I was in Hollywood. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> All right. So we're beginning another chapter. When you okay. were in Hollywood, in what 80s, took you to Hollywood? When I took a little brief respite from the First Amendment. I journeyed to that land called Hollywood. <laughs> And I went there and I had an agent who had seen me in a show and said, come on out, I'll, I'll submit you to things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was very fortunate because I also knew Bruce Willis, who set up meetings for me with the heads of all the studios. And it was like, I didn't become famous, but it was mm-hmm. like, I had a lot of meetings. And so while I was there, I happened to, uh, this is so crazy. While I was there, I was in my agent's office and I start talking, I don't remember the actor's name, but he was in the movie La Bamba and he goes, oh, what do you do? I said, improv. And he goes, oh, I'm in an improv troupe. And I said, oh, really? I said, because I also teach it. And he goes, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, well, I'll have you meet our director. So I met the director and I said, you know, hey, if you ever need an extra person or you want me to come in and do some lessons or something, he goes, no, we're fine. The next night I get a phone call from the actor saying, <laughs> they go, our director was mugged last night. Oh, geez. He's in the hospital. Can you come teach us? I said, yeah. <laughs> There's a job. Okay. So I ended up while he was in the nobody hospital. Nobody teaches improv like I, Nobody teaches improv like I do. <laughs> so I went and I became, the group's name was Cold Tofu. So it was an Asian mixed improv group of uh-huh. Asian and, and everybody else. And I went and I was teaching it. So mm-hmm. I was teaching them all different formats and everything. So then their director got out of the hospital and he saw me teaching and he goes, you know, we're doing a show. And I said, oh, yeah, it's at that big place. That's a big show. I'll come watch it. He goes, no, would you be in it? So now I'm thinking, oh, great. Now they're really going to hate me. Yeah. <laughs> the girl who came and all of a sudden is teaching us is now going to be in the show. Right, right. So. It came from New York. It came from New York. Nobody, nobody <laughs> just jumps into a show like I do. So I went and I did the show. And I was a big hit because I would do anything. Like so there are people, yeah. I can't do this, I can't sing, I can't do that. But you could throw anything at me and nothing threw me off. Yeah. Which they they really appreciated that. But that led into my agent going to me one day. You know, I represent a client, he's in a sitcom, and uh, maybe he can talk to them about you doing warm-up comedy. Can you do warm-up comedy? I said, nobody does warm-up comedy like I do. <laughs> I had never done warm-up comedy. Yeah. And, for, and as you know, when you're doing warm-up comedy for sitcom, it's usually back-to-back TV shows, and, the, and you keep the audience laughing yeah. and entertained in between. So I got a couple of joke books, 
Meanwhile, backtracking to my school <laughs> days. Still holding on to joke <laughs> st- thing. I love st- it. You know, <laughs> stall people finding out the truth that you don't have an act. And uh, so I went through the joke books and I wrote down things on cards, just one liners, because I said it's oh, going to no. be quick, whatever I'm doing. Right. And I would imagine, if, forgive me, but a, a, um, a knowing you and, and, you know, your, your background in improv and all of that. I would imagine that would be a situation that lends itself to a lot of crowd work, you know, to get the energy definitely, flowing. Definitely crowd work, but they did say, that, can you do stand-up? And I hadn't been doing stand-up. Yeah, no, I understand what you're <laughs> so. saying, but like, you know, but but some people don't really know the difference as long as you're doing it as a stand-up. You confidence, know I mean? with confidence, yes. Yes, well, you know, there you go. It's kind <laughs> of a through line. So I did that, and I, I ended up doing two shows back-to-back, which is kind of grueling because it really comes to be about six hours of being funny and yeah uh, i did that then i uh, got a very nice check and it was fun and then i said i'm done with la i want to go back to where people are friendly you know i'm going back to that place they call new of york (laughs) and i went came back to new york and after i got back here they offered me a regular position at paramount as a warm-up comic and i said i can't move again i'm done you know i'm uh, done with uh, uh, la i had a lot of great la stories but that's for another time yeah but uh so that's was the stand-up when I, you said when did i really get back to stand-up backtracking i got back to it in la because you got the warm-up gig because somebody wanted to pay me so yes <laughs> and so then i said you know what maybe i should refine this a little more i think i'll take a class in it you know they say you can't take a class in things but Tommy Koenig, who I always loved oh, as, yeah, as yeah. a performer, I just always loved his stuff as a performer, was teaching uh, stand-up class. And he was mm-hmm. the kindest, gentlest teacher. He wasn't like, no, that's wrong. Or, what, what else can you do? What a, you know, like that kind of thing. And through yeah. that, I met all my favorite people. I met Jane Condon, Sandy Ellers, oh, Sandy you know, uh, Maury Fogel. Uh, all these people were in that class. And so through that, so I just, he just kept putting me up. And that's how I got back into stand-up. Wow. And, and and it stuck this time? It stuck this time because I found out another way to get paid. <laughs> Ask me how, Eric. <laughs> how did you get paid, Nancy? I found out that if you do roast and stand-up together, uh, you can make good money. So... Can you do a roast? Nobody does a roast like I do. <laughs> All right. So I think this is leading into something else I wanted to ask you about. And by the way, what, for my personal interest here is that, like, I saw you in First Amendment, but I didn't remember your name, know you. I saw you years later doing stand-up shows, and I'm like, oh, Nancy Lombardo, she's good. It was it wasn't until I got to know you a little bit that like, oh, you were in that troupe or whatever. And like I in my conscious mind, I met you while you were a stand-up uh working places that wouldn't let me in the door <laughs> as an audience member. And so so it was fascinating to me when I was uh, put oh, this is the same person. So you talk about roast and stand-up. I you know, nowadays part of my image of you is one of the staples of the Friars Club, I'm presuming that's where we're headed, right? Well, that was another interesting story. I entered a contest, mm-hmm. and the contest, and I wouldn't normally have done it, but it was just that I was helping somebody with their material because mm-hmm. they entered the contest, and I said, can anybody enter? And they said, well, you have to be a member of the Friars Club. And I said, oh, well, I'm not a member. Mm-hmm. But then they called me and said, 
you know what? I just saw it on Craigslist. You can enter. So I said, well, I'm going to enter now. <laughs> right, right. And so I went there and you you got like two minutes to roast somebody famous. You had to make up who the roast was about. Was, was the person in there? Uh, live? No. Oh, okay. No, no. no, no. It's a fair no, question with the I, people who hung out When there. I got there, I thought it was just going to be like, oh, you know, they're going to tape it and then people will judge online. Mm. And when I got there, it was everybody from the Friars Club. And it's like people that I, I was like, Oh, Scott Blakeman's here? All these comedians that I know. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, oh, man. So I decided I would roast Amy Winehouse <laughs> as, oh, wow. my, as my two minutes. And then I noticed when I said, there's a lot of cameras here. And I said, I bet this is more about publicity than anything else. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. once I saw the cameras, I decided to end with uh, my impersonation of Amy Winehouse. And oh, it's, it's a visual. So, I mean, so right, right, I, right. I bent my head down. I fluffed up my hair till it stood straight out. Uh, and I just, I just, my mother make me go to rehab. <laughs> Said, no, 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 but the pretty colors. <laughs> <laughs> and long story short, I won my way as a finalist in the to the So You Think You Can Roast contest. Oh, and wow. of, of the hundreds of people, they only chose three women. The rest were men, and mm. it was like Goomba Johnny. Uh, I'm trying to think of all the, the well-known people in it. And I roasted Vincent Pastore from The Sopranos. Was I scared? <laughs> yes, I was, because I got there, and it was every famous person in the audience, uh -huh, the whole cast uh -huh. of The Sopranos, the whole, and it's famous people there. Yeah. And so I did that, and from that, I won my way into the Friars Clubs because they said, we love you. you. You know, I didn't win the competition, but they said, you are just so funny. We're giving you a membership. And that's how I oh, won wow. my that, way into the Friars story. Club. So I, I didn't know how you got in there. I just knew, like, at one point I became aware that you were a member of the Friars Club. I was like, and after that point, I was just always, if you can't find Nancy, if she's not across 14th Street, <laughs> she's at the Friars Club. I mean, just, that's the way it seemed, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, well, that turned into, I got to perform at a lot of events, met yeah. a lot of a lot of sports celebrities that mean nothing to me, but my husband was very impressed. Uh, <laughs> so, so you use him for research <laughs> when you get ready to do that? Oh, yeah. No, I said, yeah, who is this guy? Oh, he played for the Rangers. He's the top, you know, Graves. And I, so, ro I roasted what, what him. What's this guy named uh, yeah. James Le LeBron? Is yeah. that <laughs> So it was it was great because I got to do a lot of performing at the uh, and then through that I did a lot of charity work through the Friars Club and it was a great experience and great people I'm still in touch with everybody but yeah no I know they lost the building did the club itself still exist I don't know I don't know what's going to happen with it uh, I don't know I don't know there's other places like the Players Club, the National Arts Club mm -hmm. and things the, the, when you have money to spend and, right. you know, with that. But I don't know what's going to go on. I had a great run there because I also ended up playing softball for the Friars Club. Oh, yes, I remember that. I, that's, I, I, I'm a latent athlete. <laughs> I got a black belt in my 50s and I played softball for nine years. And it's like, who? Where did you come from? <laughs> you know, right, right. where were you when I needed you <laughs> in my early years, <laughs> getting hit in the face with a ball all the time? Where? <laughs> it's like, how did that happen? But it's, it's. I think, um, what, what is it? You know, people. They, oh, you can't think you failed. You, you haven't failed at anything if you keep trying. If you mm -hmm. keep doing it, you haven't failed because you're still trying. Yeah, yeah. So you, you haven't really failed at anything. It's just like, what new venture? And I'm always pleasantly surprised because I was, 
I auditioned for Saturday Night Live. Didn't get it. I had callbacks, 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 and was told I looked too much like Gilda, who was leaving the oh, show. Oh, jeez. So that's okay, but I could do anything, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I had that. But then years later, I ended up being a background worker on so many episodes that I had so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Doing... I mean, there were times I'd be watching, like, oh, that's Nancy, yeah. <laughs> I know, fine, Waldo, yes. And they, uh... <laughs> it's Sometimes, Nancy. sometimes. Sometimes, but it was so much fun. And then... Always being pleasantly surprised by something that if you just keep your uh, your mm, theatrical heart open to something coming to you. And I guess right before the pandemic, it was in January that mm-hmm. year, and I got a call and I thought it was to do background work on Stephen Colbert's show late mm-hmm. night. So I get there and I'm signing the papers and finding the the good in this. I'm on the Ed Sullivan stage. Oh, this right, is right. awesome. I'm downstairs. I wonder if the Beatles used this dressing room, uh, you know, uh. and I'm just happy for that. And as I'm reading my contract, I see the amount of money they're being paid. And I said, does he pay more for extra work? And they said, no, Nancy, you have a part in the show. I've got a part. <laughs> and so being pleasantly surprised by just being happy to be where you are, and then you get a bonus like that. Yeah. And that's why I love New York, because that's where it happens. You're not going to go, uh, you know, you're not going to go to, say, Boynton Beach, Florida, and all of a sudden a theatrical opportunity is going to happen for you there. No, here anything can happen, and you're happy when it happens for somebody else, or you're just, um, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And mm-hmm. that that's, mm-hmm. to me, and also just I get so much pleasure from... Uh, performing and uh, being unexpected. And and so the audience doesn't know. I think recently I was doing a show which was supposed to be indoors and got moved outdoors. Uh And uh, as luck would have it, there were like 14 inebriated firemen and retired policemen and talking during my show. Well, finally, Uh I just, uh, you can't see this, but I'm pounding my chest. I started going, where are we going with this? Where are we going with this? And then they go, I'm sorry, we'll behave. And then they listened to the rest of my show. And then they came up to me afterwards. And I thought they were going to like get in my face. And so I'm getting real straight and I'm standing Uh, up to take a punch, you know. And they go, I want to tell you, that was the best thing I ever saw. And you controlled us. You knew how to handle us. Like, you know, we're tough guys. And uh, Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Don't beat me up. Want to hear a joke? <laughs> see, see, the skills remain intact. <laughs> skills are there. <laughs> you know, the instinct. No, we we were talking about the the impact of First Amendment on your career and and all the things it done. Um, when and how did that come to a close? I think. Uh, let's see. I was in LA. I think I went in eighty three and eighty six. By the time I came back, it was going till about nine. I would say 90, 91 maybe. And mm. then and I think they lost the theater is what happened. Yeah, that, I seem and to recall she, that. she would still book shows. She would just rent a space to do a show. So if a school was coming in that wanted to see it, she would book a show. Mm. And and so I'm trying to like chronologically. So from that, I started doing one-person shows. Because mm-hmm. as again, you go, I keep going, what's next? And I said, well, one-person shows seem to be the thing to do these days. Uh-huh. So I started putting together one-person shows. And that evolved into, one-person shows evolved into uh, being able to do character pieces and Mm. just parts of the show, which evolved into 1990. And I did a show at the Actors Playhouse called Vaudeville Underground. Now, Eric knows me. I'm like housewife mom looking kind of person. I The acts were... a 
I followed a woman who did a striptease with an anaconda. It was just <laughs> a bizarre. Oh, and that then, old thing. And then me, you know, me. Uh, and I, I did a jazz number and I did like a, one of my performance pieces, you uh, know. Uh, so with that, and that then evolved into, well, I guess this is my future now because stand up <laughs> is just too crazy still and doesn't pay enough. And I said, I'll just do one person shows. Right, right. And so that evolved into all the one person shows I've been doing since then. Wow, and and I know somewhere along the line we 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 absolutely need to touch on this. Um, uh, where did Momedy come from? Momedy ah, is a, a, a landmark yeah. moment. Well, stepping back in history, so <laughs> Sherman, uh, let's get to fire up the way back machine. Yes, <laughs> my, uh, my publicist, the wonderful Gail Parento, mm-hmm. uh, was going like, "Hey, they're do- uh, doing a magazine article. I'm going to submit you for. It. They're looking for funny moms," and so. In and that, when did you become a mom? Uh, nineteen ninety-five. Okay, and where where are you at your in, in your career at that point? Oh, another interesting story. They just go <laughs> on and on, Gary. Another interesting story that I was eight months pregnant. I was doing my one-person show. Uh, I don't even remember the name of it because I did so many at the time. I was doing my <laughs> one-person show. I think it was called Comedy Mind Spill. And I'm jumping, eight months pregnant, I'm jumping off a stage. They go, she's going to have the baby on stage. It was a surf reality. My good friend. Part of the selling point is like, hey, I've never seen a live birth before. So so my uh, friend uh, Jennifer Pritchard, now uh, Jennifer mm. Bassio, was running surf reality. And I was doing the shows there. And I was uh, secretly writing for John Leguizamo. Uh, just uh, there. And how did you meet Not him? Not a secret. I'm sorry, we're doing 12 stories inside of a I story. I know. Well, he. this is a book. He happened to be one of my students in the First Amendment also. Oh, okay. So I, I first encountered him when I was in college. I was first starting to play with stand-up. And he and his then fiance Carolyn used, McDermott. Yeah. Yes, I, I, I remember. And, and they they would periodically hit the open mic as, as a an improv duo, John and Carolyn. Yes, and it, they, they didn't do that mic a lot, but it was like, oh, they're, they're good, you know. So I wrote. So I would. I was writing for him before that. I wrote for his HBO special. You know, uh, I Which did one? it. Uh, it was his first one. Oh God, I can't remember the name of it. Have to look it up in the chrono chronology. Okay, it was HBO. That's all I remember. Right, right, right. So I was writing for that, and then I was writing for other people on the side, and then. Eight months pregnant, I said, I'm going to take the last two weeks off before I have the baby uh, and just take it easy. And then I got a call from him to say, would you write for my television show, House of Buggin'? So <laughs> I don't, you, it, it, I didn't memory mention serves, I was, <laughs> you were the only female writer on that staff, Yeah, I right? ended up being the only female writer with about 13 men. And I was pregnant at the time. So anytime the guys got too much on my nerve, I would fake contractions. Ah! And they go, oh, you know. And so and then I, they give you space, right? Oh, we, we, we don't want to see that. They knew nothing about the reproductive system. Right. Let's just say that. That's not how <laughs> it happens, guys. There were a lot of uh, nice writers on there. One uh, I'd like to mention is T. Sean Shannon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yes. So I ended up eight months pregnant. Did, didn't tell them I was pregnant. I just showed up eight months pregnant. Then I took two weeks off and I was smart because Nobody I- Nobody gives birth, birth like, like this. I, like what I do. <laughs> While working. Her first television job. Right. For, uh, you know, HBO Fox. Yeah. So then as I'm working that one, um, uh, I I knew they were going to try and do like a woman thing. So I said, they're going to do something with me having the baby. So I go, well, you're not writing. I said, check again. My assistant has eight scripts for you. <laughs> Man, and so I turned nice. in the scripts. I wrote them, pre-wrote them and turned those in. And T. Sean Shannon, who was a writer in the show, mm-hmm. led to another thing because this is, I'm the luckiest girl. 
he was now writing for Colin Quinn. While he's one of the head writers writing for Colin Quinn's new TV show on NBC, they're looking for people to play a wacky secretary. My picture comes across the table and Tishon Shannon goes, hey, that's Nancy Lombardo. We have to use her. And then Colin goes, oh, I know her. And they hired me to be on his premiere episode. Wow. So nice. that's everything. Just if you just leave yourself open to anything's going to happen. And that's what happens. So that's how I got on that. Well, if I can just say one of the things I've always liked about your work and always admired about you personally is that I I don't know too many people who just love performing and love showbiz the way you do. You know, I mean, you, you're you not going to do all this stuff for free, but you're one of those people that I could see, you know, like if, if, if your only option for performing... It's the elevator. I'm on. <laughs> that, that, thank you. That, I was trying to figure a way of putting it, but that's exactly it. That, you know, say, hey, you know, this is the most entertaining elevator I've ever been in. I, I think I'm going back. Is there a cover? <laughs> you know, no, but it's just a, a testament to, you know, you are one of these people. I, I, I think Rhonda Hanson, who was the previous guest, is in. Who was in the First Amendment? I, I didn't know that. Yes. I didn't know that, but it, 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 you. you are both very different. You've had different careers and you have different energies and just different, different, different. But yet you both share that, like not only the love of performing, but also you're both people who fascinate me because anytime I get to talking stuff with either of you, there are stories like you did that you worked with. So like, you know, it just, and that's a testament to, how much you've just committed to a life of performing and a life of art. And, and not uh, forgetting how talented people are. Mamadi, you asked me. I'm Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. We, I, I know we got to wind down, but story, I want to hear yes, about it. Yes, we're winding this. down. But this is great because it ties into Rhonda Hanson. Oh, beautiful. So I was doing, so I was there. I went for a shoot. And at that shoot was um, Joy Rose, who was the lead singer for a band called Housewives on Prozac. <laughs> I remember that. Also at that same shoot is who? Jane Condon, who I did not know that I would go years later, would be my friend for years later. Mm-hmm. We are in the same magazine article. Joy Rose founded Mama Palooza. And the first show was at the cutting room. And she said, hey, I got your card from that photo shoot because I always had cards. <laughs> and she goes, would you be in my show? And from that, it became Mama Palooza. So I was a regular for a couple of years. Then it became a giant festival. Uh-huh. And then she goes, do you want to do a separate section? And I go, yeah, I want to do Mother Comics. And that became Momity. Mm-hmm. And at the time, before everyone was diversifying, I wanted to diversify because I go, mm-hmm. oh my God, his blonde moms in this show. And I go, <laughs> where's where's all my people out there? So I went on the hunt for Rhonda Hanson and I couldn't find her because she had changed her name on me. Yeah, yeah, I know. I luckily she got was in that theater uh, theater directing phase. phase. Yes. So then I got Angela Scott, another very oh, talented yeah, yeah. woman. She's great. And I said, yeah, you know. And I, I was hoping to make more diversified show with moms, mm-hmm. and I, but I couldn't find Rhonda Hanson because oh, I know Rhonda. So Rhonda shows up in the audience. I haven't seen her in maybe fifteen years. Mm-hmm. I said, Rhonda, what are you doing? Well, I'm mostly directing. She goes, but I miss stand up. I said, Rhonda, get ten minutes together. And next year you're in the show. And Rhonda got back into stand-up comedy. I didn't know that's how she she circled back. I went back. looking for her. Nice. And then she became the director of my one-woman shows. And 
I never forget talented people. Yeah, yeah. Well, you 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 both have that in spades. Uh, so be, thank you for for your time for for hanging out with us for a bit. Uh, and I say hanging out as we sit <laughs> in in her her uh, uh, second bedroom. Um, <laughs> I, I, I we're gonna have to edit that out or do some splaining. But um, but no. But uh, can I be, put my clothes back on now? Uh, <laughs> I, I I wouldn't know, um, but no. He, uh, be, before we disappear, if people want to find out what's going on with you, and by the way, what is going on with you? Is the books right now is the focus. The the my focus is the two books. So a pocket full of confidence, self help for the confidence challenged, and my latest poetry book and fun stories is Ah Musings, my inner muse let loose all available on Amazon. My music, you can buy just CD Baby. You can buy one. You can buy the whole CD. I have a Christmas album. Perfect, perfect Christmas gift. And Merry anything, Christmas. Merry with an M. I'm going to get in trouble for that too. <laughs> and then also uh, uh, you can go to comedyconcepts.com, comedyconcepts.com, and that's a full display of everything I do if you're trying to find me. Okay, and you do have like a radio show, a podcast, oh, something else yes. too? Oh, uh, yes. What's the Buzz New York on Blog Talk Radio. What's the Buzz New York every Monday and Friday. And also the Nancy Lombardo show, selfishly self-promoting, every <laughs> Friday night on a Manhattan Neighborhood Network. You can go to MNN.org or it's on three channels on public access every Friday night at 7. All right, so we covered everything on that? I I think I'm going to uh, uh, cure COVID, but I'm not sure. Okay, well, you know, I, I, stay tuned, check her out, and, and follow the progress of COVID. Uh, <laughs> because nobody cures COVID like I do. <laughs> and I think that's a good place to end. Thanks, Nancy. Great Thank you, Eric. <laughs> Man, what a nice way to end the year. Uh, conversation with our old friend Nancy Lombardo. If you ever run into Nancy in person and she's not on stage, just, just pull her aside, you know, put a beverage in front of her and just listen. I mean, she's got stories. So uh, always fun to talk with Nancy. So, all right, we're, we're winding down here. I do want to thank our producer, Gary Hardcastle. Uh, he's done an amazing job getting us started here this year, and, and uh, it's been such a pleasure working with him. The Wizard of Oohs and Ahs, Gary Hardcastle, also assisting us on sound on this episode, the one and only Miles Mix Appeal Blue Spruce. Uh, theme music, the opening and closing theme music is written and performed by King of the Hill, Courtney Hill. And on uh, this episode, we have production assistant, Stanley Resio and production assistant, assistant Jeremy Puello. Uh, thanks to everybody for helping us make it through this. Uh, thanks for everyone who's been along for the ride. If you like what you hear, please let people know. Post links on social media. Uh, offer reviews if you've listened to it in a platform that gives you the option to, to leave reviews. Uh, before we get out of here and before we finish off our year here, um, I, we're going to leave you with a song from Miles Blue Spruce and his band, creatively named Blue Spruce. Uh, it's from the album The Poison in the Ice. And the song, the album version, is called Disappear. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, you know, iTunes, wherever. If you order from Amazon, you know, they've cut a lot of people. You might have to wait a little longer. I don't know. I don't do these things. But uh, the music is great. Uh, and that's how we're going to end our year for the No Name Podcast. Enjoy. Until next time, thank you for spending some time with us. My name is Eric Vetter. I love you all.
Uh... 